Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, powers of persuasion mean better cyber practices at Commerce Department bureaus. We had to convince them that if they got together, that they could leverage each other's strengths, that we could leverage an overall budget, get better pricing, get better training programs, have the ability to, uh, to help across the bureaus should the need arise. The cyber people problem at agencies isn't what you think it is. I would say we have enough people. The issue is training. And thought leadership in zero trust all over government. Beth Capello, Deputy CIO for DHS. She talks about the seams that can happen as we start to move and have this hybrid and multi-cloud environment, making sure that we don't, unfortunately, open up a gap where it's not uh, expected. It's Friday, April 8th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Today, some highlights from CyberScoop's Zero Trust Summit this week. The White House Executive Order on Cybersecurity lists Zero Trust as a key component of the future of government cybersecurity. Andre Mendez, the Chief Information Officer at the Commerce Department, led off the Zero Trust Summit, and he started with an admission. 95% of you that are in the room know more about Zero Trust architecture than I do. Uh, and it's going to be followed by several sessions with some of the best people in the industry that can tell you everything about every single detail about Zero Trust architecture. So I was trying to figure out, how do I t- tackle this? I'll try this on you. So security, in general, is a fight for the ages. Is a fight that started billions of years ago and that will continue for, from, from now until forever. And it has taken place in a variety of realms, right? Uh, You know, as we sit here as human beings, we've had the opportunity to have our defenses evolve over billions of years, right? Your skin is effectively a firewall, right? That protects against, uh, you know, all of the the dangers that lurk externally. Uh, Your senses are nothing more than sensor warnings. That's why they call them sensors in the IT industry sensor warnings for danger that might come about you, whether it is from a collision, whether it is from a noise of fire, whether it is uh, from actually being hurt by a a physical fire. Your immune system is akin to your defense mechanisms inside of the firewalls, right? It actually develops a set of signatures, much like an antivirus environment, right, where it detects what is good and what is not good. Invariably, you know, because this is an evolutionary mechanism, the bugs that are trying to hit us evolve based on our defenses. And then what happens? We need to get some kind of a, you know, a booster, a, 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 a new defense mechanism. And so we, we actually go through the process of being vaccinated against certain things, and boy, have we heard about that recently, right? <clears throat> uh, and if, effectively, eventually, sometimes we need help with certain organisms that are new, you know, like zero day, Uh, without warning. And so what you see is an environment where we effectively have developed what is very equivalent to a cybersecurity environment as part of our biological environment. But then you look at civilizations and they basically evolved in the same way. Tribes found that other tribes were trying to attack them and take their stuff. And so what did they do? Well, over time, they developed castles and moats, right? Firewalls. 
effectively, right? Uh, and, but the problem is that inside of the moat or the firewall, you could have somebody who is actually trying to do you harm, right? An intruder, right? And effectively what you have there is an internal threat, right? <clears throat> you could have a situation uh, where somebody comes in incognito and stay, lay, lays around for a long time waiting to create havoc inside of your system and that's a persistent uh, threat that comes into your environment. And so this fight has been going on for a very, very, very long time and is going to continue. But one of the things that you have to take away from this is that you can't trust anybody at any time on any situation, right? And what better examples than, for example, the medieval um, English royal families, where your major threats always came from the inside, right? And so you had to protect against that on a constant basis, because that's, those were the people that were going to kill you because they wanted your throne. And so here we find ourselves in a situation where we have finally come to the realization that the old systems that we put in place are just not enough are just not enough. And interestingly enough, the big impetus behind zero trust, it was sort of an evolving momentum because people started to understand uh, either the nature of all the cyber risks. But the big impetus came with something that is also not novel, a supply chain compromise. And all of a sudden, things got enormously accelerated because we realized that even what we thought we could trust we can't necessarily trust, right? And so all of a sudden, we, we, we got set into that, uh, that mindset that says that you have to not only control your borders, your entries, your authenticated people, but then all of the interactions that are taking place inside of your environment, because you never know when those are going to represent a big problem. And again, it could be an internal threat, right? I mean, uh, Snowden. And, and others like, uh, like him, right? Uh, or it could be something that is introduced as part of the supply chain uh, and that creates a tremendous risk. And with that realization, the impetus for zero trust absolutely exploded. Now, we had been doing zero trust at some of our bureaus in the Department of Commerce since about 2018, but they were nascent efforts. They were nascent efforts. All of a sudden, it exploded. And so let me tell you one thing that we did differently at the Department of Commerce as a result of this, that I think it's something that, that you should look at potentially. Historically, when there was a problem uh, with a system or a set of systems or we needed to introduce a new technology, bureaus uh, would look at their budgets, put forth their budgets, they would go up to the hill you know, uh, as part of the Department of Commerce, make their case for those budgets, get the budgets and implement their solutions. We have 13, uh, 13 bureaus. Guess how many different types of solutions we have for everything? Well, it's not 13, okay? It's more, because the bureaus also have organizational units, right? And they don't always align. Well, when SolarWinds came about and, the, um, and Congress decided that they wanted to do something about it from a funding standpoint, which was sorely needed, um, we decided to do something different. Rather than go to, to the Hill and say, we need X number of millions of dollars, get that money, and then apportion it to the bureaus on whatever you know, uh, way you would want, pro rata, based on what they told us they need or whatever, uh, we said no. 
We got together all of the best people in cybersecurity from the bureaus, the CISOs and their experts. And we got them in a virtual room because it was during the pandemic, but we got them together in a room and said, you're not gonna leave, sort of figuratively, until you figure out how we're gonna put together a plan for everybody, right? And of course, they came about and, uh, uh, and decided it had to be spam, of course. Um, and, and, and they came out with a structure that made sense for everybody. Now, I'm not saying there's not gonna be any deviations, because as one of my colleagues mentioned to me, we do not want something that is so uniform that it puts us as danger because of all of our eggs in one basket. But at the same time, we are not gonna be looking at commodity environments and create 12 different commodity environments. We just can't afford the economies of scale associated with that. We can't afford to hire all of the different experts at the different bureaus to do that, right? And so we're literally wasting money and creating additional exposures of vulnerability instead of resolving them. And at first, there was resistance, right? Wait a minute, you, you're gonna tell me what to do in my bureau? Because that was not part of the equation. That was never part of the equation. And I wasn't gonna tell them what to do. I don't have that kind of authority, and it would be counterproductive. But we had to convince them that if they got together, that they could leverage each other's strengths, that we could leverage an overall budget, get better pricing, get better training programs, have the ability to, uh, to help across the bureaus should the need arise, develop a body of knowledge that is relevant not just to one place, but to many places, so that we can actually start working like a department, right? In addition to that, everybody knows that as we're moving forward, data is what it's all about, right? And by the way, it's always been about the data. We just have been paying a lot of attention to it because we have so much now. But the reality is that there is ability to do synergy between bureaus and leverage each other's data. But if everybody has different underlying technologies and authentication methodologies and all of the, the steps that will prevent the collaboration from happening, we are leaving functionality on the table. And we should not leave functionality on the table because we operate in a very independent way that has been very innovative, but it creates with it a certain inefficiency of scale, right? Because, you know, what we are doing at the Department of Commerce from that standpoint could effectively be done probably at the governmental effort, right? So that we leverage those economic skills of scale even more. And we had a common body of experts that could protect us. We had a known architecture that would be the best of the best because we had the best people working on it. And so that's what we did. And I'm hoping that that prevents some value from you. As I mentioned at the beginning, this is a fight that has gone on for billions of years and will continue until we're all long gone. It will never stop. And it will be an innovative fight, right? It is an evolutionary fight. We develop a new mechanism, they develop a new mechanism. We counter that, they counter that. It's going to go on forever. But I know for a fact that the people in the Fed and the vendors of the Fed are ready for that challenge and that we will have our problems, but overall we will score very, very high, not only on the cybersecurity arena, but on the zero trust architecture. Thank you so much. The CIO of the Commerce Department, Andre Mendez, at the Zero Trust Summit CyberScoop hosted this week. You can find a link to watch this presentation and everything from the Zero Trust Summit in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. 
I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, coming on Monday's show, testing the top technology in the Department of Defense. The Pentagon's Director of Operational Test and Evaluation, Nick Girton, is on Monday's Daily Scoop podcast. That show debuts Monday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. More now from this week's Zero Trust Summit from CyberScoop. One of the primary themes of this event was that agencies already have components of what they need to implement Zero Trust. Janelle DeVore is the Chief Information Security Officer at the Agriculture Department. Paul Kurtz of Splunk is former Senior Director of Cybersecurity at the National Security Council. Tim Starks of CyberScoop led a conversation that Janelle started by saying Zero Trust isn't a new thing. Zero Trust has always been here. We're just, we're, just call, we're just packaging up into a nice pretty box and we're calling it something. So for example, um, in 2017, our department started implementing the Continuous Diagnostic and Mitigation Program, which required several things like implementing hardware and software, identity management, a whole lot of different things. So with Zero Trust is really kind of putting those together and, um, and approaching a kind of like a, a standardized implementation based on an incremental development model, if you want to look at it that way, um, just based on the cyber EO. So it's, it's, it's always been here, in my opinion. Paul? Yeah, I think this has been uh, a learning process for both the private sector and the federal space. It's, this is not just a challenge in the federal space. When I look back, and I've been in the, the business for like 20-some years, we've had a almost a tool-by-tool tool approach to security. We'll build another mousetrap, and we'll hope that mousetrap works, and then we'll evolve to another mousetrap, and yet another mousetrap, and we keep on losing. Now I think we're evolving under the zero trust mantra to a more collaborative approach. All these tools, all these sources, need to be able to work together so we can have a real optic on what's going on inside the enterprise. And I also think it's expanding even beyond that so that enterprises will start collaborating with each other, the interagency starting to collaborate with each other. I always start from the 9-11 context um, where we, we, we built silos and didn't look holistically at how we're approaching the problem. Now I think that's starting to happen. It just happens that we have this label of zero trust over the top, but at the end of the day, this is about tools collaborating with each other. So the CISOs have an understanding of actually what's going on inside their networks constantly. So as, as good as most people seem to think it is, can you talk about what you see as the limits of zero trust? What it can and cannot do, what people should expect from it? So what Zero Trust cannot do is eliminate the threat. It will always be here. It's just how we manage it. Um, and then, you know, also, you know, we've been dealing with the, the requirement for implementation of this since the executive order came out back in May. And one of the things, just kind of like not an obvious thing we would normally talk about, is the impact to the user. So the user's been used to um, living and working in a trusted network. Now we're saying, trust no one, verify everything. Um, and that's a shift for them 
to actually be able to understand, okay, how do I navigate this? How is this going to impact me? Um, you know, am I going to be able to use my application seamlessly? Is there going to be more passwords? Um, those type of things. So really, just understanding that the threat is not going anywhere. We just are going to be better able to manage it and identify it more quickly. Um, and then also managing user expectations is a big one for us. I, I think the, one of the bigger challenges would be how do you address legacy systems? You've got old software, old systems inside uh, organizations. How does Zero Trust going to apply in that context and where a lot of home, you know, homemade code has been put together over the past 20 some odd years? How do you retrofit Zero Trust into that? And I think that's going to cause some um, other um, uh, re-architecting uh, and, and dropping out, uh, removing a lot of legacy code. Uh, and I think that's going to be really problematic over time. It, the, the first step on this, and I'm sure everybody's heard this like 50 times already today, is understanding what you have. And then you can't really apply zero test until you have an inventory of what you have. Yeah, understood. Um, these, are, these next couple questions are a little more agency focused, but Paul, by all means, if you want to weigh in. Um, you mentioned that, that Zero Trust has been around for, for the whole time, Janelle. I wanted to get a sense from you how long USDA has, USDA has been working on it and why it's a priority for the department. My, I looked at some budget documents about you know, the CISO priorities from the last couple of years, and it, this is always high on the list, and I wonder if you could talk about why that was. So, um, like I mentioned, uh, probably around 2017, 2018, um, we started implementing what we now know as some of the tenets of, of Zero Trust. You know, making sure that we have hardware, software inventories, we are implementing patch management, what is now called endpoint detection and, and, and response capabilities. So we've been working towards that for several, several years now. Um, so, you know, in, in a way that makes it easier, um, and it's not easy, but easier <laughs> for at least the folks that have to implement zero trust to grasp the concept and be able to look at what we have, overlay the technologies uh, that we have, like Splunk, uh, <laughs> and, and look at how that act will actually help us meet the, um, meet the intent of the, of the requirement. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll re reference, uh, there was another panel just ahead of ours who talked about the issue of resources. Our, and our, and our FedScoop teammates have, have reported in the last few months even that that some agency CIOs say Congress will need to give them more money to implement zero trust as directed by the executive order 14028. Actually, I don't know. That's the first time I've said that out loud. How many people say it? Did they say 14028 or did they say 14028? <laughs> Got to ask the important questions here. <laughs> so, so what's your sense of the resources it will take, if not necessarily at USDA, but, but broadly? But, but if you have a specific uh, thought on USDA, I welcome it. Um, so resources, I would say we have enough people the issue is training, um, because you know when you have a bunch of uh, uh, several tools that are going to be part of your zero trust architecture um, that you already have implemented, you have to re-architect or reintegrate how they work. Um, so that's going to require training for the staff that we have. And then when you talk about legacy, um, you also talk ab about, and specifically for USDA, we have a couple of unique missions like uh, firefighting. So we have firefighters, we have folks that go out and fight forest fires. How do we do zero trust for them? What does that look like? 
Um, so we need uh, you know, to train people, have out-of-the-box thinkers to help us look at beyond, okay, these are the tools we have in our toolbox. Yes, we know we have to purchase software and, and some other technologies to help us, but how do we enable the mission and unique missions like firefighting? What does that look like? And we're, right now we're doing um, use cases and requirements gathering to figure that question out. That sounds challenging. Very. Uh, is there a sense of you know, how long that will all take to play out and timelines and things like that? Well, we, we have until 2024 to fully implement Zero Trust, and we're going to take all of that time. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, as far as, we're just building use cases. We really, we know we have an end date, but as far as, you know, specific steps and things like that, we're still working those things out. Understood. So, uh, last question, uh, maybe this one can apply to both of you as well. Uh, specific, uh, more broadly, talking about that executive order, what are the most important pieces, uh, Zero Trust aside, that you think agencies are going to need to uh, work on under that order going ahead? In the broader executive order, almost like not just zero trust, uh, I, I think it, the, one of the most critical elements of the executive order um, is how do we stop operating as individual agencies and begin to collaborate and share data back and forth between agencies. Implicit within that is you have to be able to move data around and have an understanding of what's going on inside your own network. Um, but we have to evolve to a more collaborative model in security. Uh, I think CISA is doing a great job in talking more about that. They have the JCDC stood up. There's a lot of companies that are a part of that. Splunk is a part of that. But really, it's a, it's a collaborative security model. It's folly to think that individual agencies or individual companies are going to be able to defend themselves. It's just, it won't work. Um, and so a collaborative model is, I think, what really strikes me out of the executive order is, is important. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, we're going to have to be able to work together in order to protect the nation. I mean, that's the whole intent of this exec executive order. Um, you know, and, and part of that is not just going forward with the tenants, uh, with zero trust, with the executive order, but also that collaboration and making sure that we have uh, legislation in place to help us collaborate better. And that's not just federal government, our infrastructure, because infrastructure owns most, uh, infra our infrastructure partners, rather, own most of, most of our technology. So we need to be able to work with them more closely. And, and Tim, just one, yeah. when I talk Austin. about collaborate, I'm not talking necessarily human to human. I'm talking about automated flow of data back and forth. It's, it's, if you will, almost removing the human from the loop, except in the case of something where you really have to look into it. Machines need to be able to talk to machines. Paul Kurtz of Splunk at the Zero Trust Summit CyberScoop hosted this week. You can find a link to watch this presentation and everything from the Zero Trust Summit in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. Military and civilian CIOs will lay out their strategies for the cloud at the Public Sector Innovation Summit. I'm hosting it next Thursday. I hope you'll come. That's April 14th at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City. You can find a link to learn more in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. The White House Cybersecurity Executive Order lists deadlines and mileposts agencies have to hit in their zero-trust journeys. 
One of the government partners in that journey is the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Sean Connolly is trusted Internet Connection Program Manager and Senior Cybersecurity Architect at CISA. And his closing keynote address at the Zero Trust Summit this week, titled The Adoption of Zero Trust Across the Federal Government, he started with what he calls the basics. NIST put out the special pub two plus years ago. We've talked a lot about the A-200-207. The definition that we put out back then still holds now. An evolving set of cybersecurity paradigms that move defenses from static network-based perimeters to focus on users, assets, and resources. Uh, From our perspective at CISA, we do a lot of Zero Trust 101s. And honestly, uh, just talking about this, and what does this mean? What does Zero Trust really mean? You can see it's positioned here in the middle of the slide. It's not about building higher walls, but it's about designing better gates, better policy enforcement points, better policy decision points. Uh, My colleague, Ross Ross Ford from CISA was talking earlier about governance and really how the governments were betting into these PEPs and PDPs in new ways. So I think this is all important to recognize. Same time, I think it was almost on the way over here, it was almost two years to the day since we put out the uh, uh, interim tick telework guidance, again with COVID happening, the pandemic. And I went back and looked through really quick before the talk here. Two years ago when we put out that paper, uh, we mentioned zero trust once and that 20 plus paper. You just look at the momentum now, two plus years later, and what's going on across the government. I think it's really a compliment to a lot of different areas across the community to have this momentum going forward. It's really encouraging to see every, all the interest. Next, I mentioned uh, the special pub before. Uh, there are four primary authors. I am one of those authors, but I say often, I'm the Ringo star of that group. <laughs> Scott, Oliver, and Stu, they are the rock stars of that one. Um, But when you see the tenants here, I think the most important tenant is the fourth one. If you read the first three tenants, all data sources and computing services are considered resources. All communication is secured. All access to individual enterprise resources granted per session basis. Okay, we got those. We understand what those need. But then the fourth one really pushes everyone forward. Access to resources determined by dynamic policy may include other behavior and environmental attributes. That's really where we start moving forward. And then you look at the last three uh, tenets, and also the same thing. They sort of complement and build off the momentum of the fourth one. But just want to point out that we, we strive to still meet these seven tenets as we put out our guidance from CISA. Same time, uh, lean back. I mentioned TIC, of course, Trusted Internet Connection. I've been associated with TIC since about 2007. Uh, sometimes I wish we could go back into a time machine, talk to Karen Evans at OMB, and somehow figure out how to get rid of the rid of the rid of the word trust in trust internet connections because a lot of our conversations with agencies start out. Do you know you have trust in the name of your program and are here to talk about zero trust? We understand it. But these five uh, objectives you see here, they're in the guidebook, the first of the tick three uh, papers we put out. A lot of these map back or complement what we just talked about before in the special book. Observe, validate, filter data. Ensure only authorized parties can discern the contents of data. Prevent alteration of data in transit. Promote resilient applications. Promote timely reaction and adaptive future responses to discovered threats. Again, I think these are different ways to look at those same tenets we looked at just before in the prior slide. And again, I've talked about the Zero Trust 101, and this is what we usually land on when we do a discussion across not only just the agencies, but when we talk to state, local, towns, or Uh, some of the industry 
perspectives. The model you see in the upper right-hand corner is that traditional security model. What you see now on the, the bottom right is that continual loop, where there's a continual assessment going on. But I think the whole, the key is, and you listen to John Kindervog, where a lot of this started when he was at Forrester Zero Trust, is you talk about, he talks about how we're removing that trust, we're removing that human element, that human emotion. But what's challenging sometimes is what are we replacing it with? And if you listen to him enough on the podcast, you start to hear it. And what he talks about is confidence, removing trust and we're building confidence. And some may question, okay, that's semantics. But I think it makes sense in terms of, when he talks about trust, he talks trust is binary. It's either on or off. Confidence is a spectrum, it's a range. This complements some of what you hear in the Intel community. When they're talking about assessments or they're talking about a target, they don't talk about the trust of a target. They talk about we have low confidence in this, moderate confidence in this, high confidence in this. So I think that reflects some of what we're trying to distill here with Zero Trust today. The same point, we know confidence can decompose, can deteriorate over time. So it's not something that's static, binary like trust is, but confidence we can build and remove over time. We've heard a lot about the maturity model. Uh, just to put it out there, I've been uh, supporting a lot of different reference architectures over the years. This one we put out in about two weeks. As someone said, it was a back of the napkin effort. Usually our papers can take between six months and a year. I think there's a compliment to OMB, GSA, others. We got this out the, out the door so quickly. But it was to help agencies as they build out their implementation plans last year. And as we move forward, uh, we mentioned before, some others have talked about how uh, OMB has requested the agency submit their zero trust implementation plans. We're gonna look at those implementation plans, adjudicate them, and then build off them. And when we come out with a, another version of the maturity model, I think it'll reflect where we heard the agencies are in the vendor community. Real quick, this is just the, the, the Greek temple that we've seen before, uh, again, while myself background is more on the network, I think the ones we're looking at position is more the data pillar is the one where I think we have the most ability. I think all the other pillars have built up because of where we are, the data pillar, the network, the data, um, the device, the application. So a couple things, uh, selfish plugs before I end. CDM, of course, with endpoint detection response, uh, EDR. So you can see here we're mapping to the pillars, we're mapping the services that CDM is positioning, of course, the EDR, loud focus of that in the OMB memo. Asset management, know thyself, going back to Oracle of Delphi. Endpoint detection response across the federal civilian executive space. Recognize the importance of identity management. Of course, the network and network access control tools we're looking at. And finally, applications, again, built on some of the EDR capabilities coming out. Now, if I could ask for one slide, one intention for everyone to be aware of, it's this one, protective DNS. Uh, this is mentioned in the OMB memo. Uh, ideally, what protective DNS will do will sunset some of the Einstein, the sensor capabilities we have, the Einstein 3A, the DNS solution. This is a new service that says it's rolling out to the agencies. And we're starting to onboard some agencies in kind of a pilot phase, but we ask the agencies and the vendor community to work with us as we start to onboard more and more agencies to this new service. Again, with the intent to sunset the Einstein 3A DNS solution set. One more selfish plug for us. Uh, right now we have a paper open. 
applying zero trust principles to enterprise mobility. There is uh, an RFC. It's on our website. We have the, the uh, uh, close of that, I think, in another couple weeks. We listen to everything that comes in. We adjudicate it, send it out to multiple teams. So please, if you have the opportunity, please look at this paper and give us feedback. One of the best ways to reach us. Okay, on to up really, real quick, Federal Zero Trust efforts. We know about NIST, we know about Elper, Kerman's team, and what they're doing in the vendor community. Tom Sanducci's team at GSA, what they are looking at with some of the efforts they have to help from their data center consolidation team. Sylvia Burns uh, at FDIC and how her team through the Federal CIO and Federal CISO Council, they have the Zero Trust Leadership Steering Group which helps agencies, and we have these uh, meetings every month or so, helps agencies from that leadership level understand what this move to zero trust means. We also heard earlier from Jerry Karen, my colleague from State, uh, his efforts through ATARC, we have Steve Hernandez, what he's done through ACT-IAC. So I think there's a lot of different ways that the federal government is helping agencies move toward the zero trust, zero trust philosophy. I'll end up on just one thing for ourselves, uh, cloud security, technical reference architecture. This was a paper that was required out of the CyberEO last summer. We released a version of it in September, I think, for RFC. Uh, we uh, adjudicated the comments from them. We have another version of the cloud security technical reference architecture coming out in about another maybe a month or so. Uh, this reflects, though, uh, the guidance from FedRAMP, our colleagues at United States Digital Services, USDS, part of OMB, and ourselves at CISA, collective guidance. I think it really helps move the bar forward. Uh, and then just some of the adjudication updates we have from that. And this is, again, hearing from the agencies, hearing from the communities, was the consistent use of phishing-resistant MFA in alignment with the OMB memo, Zero Trust, the logging memo. And we've also added some additional scenarios to the uh, CSTRA. So just heads up, this will be uh, released here in another month or so. And just next steps, I'm going to close with the challenges ahead. You know, as in Top Gun, they say no points for second place. And so we have to recognize what these challenges are. First one, security gaps. Uh, Beth Capello, Deputy CIO for DHS. She talks about the seams that can happen as we start to move and we have this hybrid and multi-cloud environment, making sure that we don't, un un unfortunately, open up a gap where it's not uh, expected. Zero Trust is going to take a long-term commitment. Zero trust versus productivity. As we implement these new security measures, recognizing how it can impact the community itself, uh, both internal enterprise users, and then with some of the memo and the efforts there on the public facing side, how it can impact some of the agencies that have a requirement to help the, the, the citizens at large, how, how zero trust can enable the, the, these programs in new ways. And last, visibility. Uh, visibility is close to me at CISA, our situational awareness mission to have that panoramic visibility across the federal civilian executive branch. We have to ensure that we produce or implement these new zero trust solutions, that we don't blind ourselves at the same time. Sean Connolly, trusted internet connection program manager and senior cyber architect at CISA. You can find a link to watch his presentation and everything from the Zero Trust Summit in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. If you haven't done so, please do so over the weekend. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington. 
Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put it together every day, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast is back Monday with the Director of Operational Test and Evaluation at the Pentagon, Nick Girton. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.